Welcome to the first episode of the third season of PH Pod, a podcast brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post, which informs and inflects the broader conversation on health and social justice. I'm Bethany Hollenborg. And I'm Connor McCombs. And we're writing fellows for Public Health Post as well as your new hosts for PH Pod. We are so glad to be here and chatting with you about public health at work. So, the United States has surpassed 1 million COVID-19 deaths since March 2020. It seems like we've been bracing for this pretty grim milestone for the last few months. I mean, how do we even begin to understand what a million COVID deaths means? I know, it's such a big question and it's so confusing, but thankfully we have an expert on COVID-19 death rates here, Andrew Stokes, an assistant professor at BUSPH in the Department of Global Health. Yes, Andrew, we are so excited to have you here today. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you do at BUSPH and what kind of research you work on? Sure. I'm a demographer and sociologist. Uh, I'm in the Department of Global Health at Boston University School of Public Health, and I um, study mortality statistics. It, it really is a grim milestone, uh, absolutely horrific. Uh, you know, one outcome of our research was the finding that there were as many excess deaths in 2021 as there were in 2020, uh, even though uh, in 2021, you know, there was uh, access to vaccination. Uh, and, and at that point, we, we should have learned a lot about how to effectively manage the pandemic. So the fact that the, the death toll continued to, to mount uh, even after you know, our experience in 2020 is really upsetting. Could you explain a bit about what excess deaths are and why they matter? Excess deaths uh, is um, a comparison of uh, the deaths that were observed in a given period to the deaths that were expected based on historical trends. And so the, the kind of the, the, the main methodology involved is to take historical data, time series on, on, on death counts going back, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, and make a prediction about what we would have expected in a counterfactual reality in which uh, the COVID pandemic never happened. Um, and so once we, we get those estimates of expected deaths, we compare them to the observed deaths and the difference is the is the estimate of excess deaths, and we we basically create a model that um, does this for for each of the three thousand one hundred twenty seven county units uh, over each month from March two thousand twenty to December two thousand twenty one. You know, as academic researchers, uh, we're really focused on getting the numbers right. In this case, uh, estimating the undercounts, the COVID death undercounts, county by county in the United States for 3,127 different county units over 2020 and 21. Uh, So it's a big lift, uh, and it involves a a large interdisciplinary team of health researchers, demographers, statisticians, and so on. So that's really our main focus is is on the modeling and getting the numbers right. Amazing. So you've been doing this project for two years now, about two years. What has been the the big findings you've seen overall, as well as have there been changes over the two years that you've seen? Yes. Uh, so overall, um, you know, we see that in the first year of the pandemic, uh, particularly early in the pandemic, in the first wave, it it hit large urban centers, especially hard, uh, including in the in the Northeast and the Mid Atlantic. Uh, as the pandemic evolved, it shifted progressively to rural areas of the country, areas with weak health systems with uh, a lack of testing and under-resourced death investigation systems. Uh, so as, as this dynamic evolved, the, the, the kind of the underlying patterns changed 
and we saw a rural disadvantage. Because these rural areas um, are so under-resourced, a lot of the, the COVID deaths in those areas went undetected. This was a, a special concern for us because if local communities were not accurately counting their COVID deaths, that they might not take the, the, the appropriate measures uh, in responding to the risks of the pandemic, that there could be these negative behavioral feedback loops where if, if people don't have information, they won't act, they won't mask, they won't socially distance, and they may not get vaccinated. Uh, and indeed, in the areas with the, the most uncounted COVID deaths, we do see uh, uh, exceptionally low vaccine rates. And so we, we, we think that there's a correlation there and thus an urgency to kind of rectify and correct these undercounts so that there's better information and that people are kind of armed with information to make good decisions. So then to this, you've mentioned under-resourced. What does that, what does that look like at the county level? So or how, why is it under-resourced? Is it a person thing? Is it a supply thing? Where's that coming from? That's a great question. Uh, all throughout the pandemic, there's been widespread and pervasive under-testing. Under uh, it's been very hard to get access to tests in order to to um, to identify whether you have a COVID infection. Uh, and even as large metropolitan areas kind of corrected that, uh, rates continued to lag in rural areas. So there was just a, a real lack of information on, on COVID diagnosis. And, and you know, the, the under-diagnosis of cases leads to an under-diagnosis of death. So that's one part is a lack of testing in rural areas. Another thing is that, you know, we're talking about parts of the country that have very weak health systems, few physicians per capita, longer distances to travel to a hospital. Uh, unfortunately, many hospitals have closed and shuttered their windows altogether. So what we're seeing um, is that a preponderance of the deaths in rural areas are occurring at home, outside of hospital settings. Um, and in those instances, the risk of a death being uh, misdiagnosed goes up because there was no attending physician who was kind of there at the bedside when the death occurred. How did you come to be aware of these kind of miscounts or the missing diagnoses on death certificates? What what brought your attention to this uh, these excess COVID deaths? That's a great question. I, I've always been interested in in cause of death data. Um, and so prior to the, to the COVID pandemic, I was looking at uh, the quality of death reporting for, for other conditions and diseases like Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, diabetes, and so on. So it was a natural uh, extension of that research. Um, and, and one of the early puzzles, which uh, to some extent remains a puzzle, you know, is when we started to see these gaps between excess mortality and, and COVID mortality, it wasn't uh, perfectly clear uh, why these gaps were emerging and whether these represented uncounted COVID deaths or, or, or the indirect effects of the pandemic, economic hardship and uh, evictions and food insecurity and other types of economic and social displacement that, that led to higher mortality. So there's a real puzzle around this and the mechanisms. And uh, so it made it um, an attractive uh, topic for research since we, you know, we didn't know going into it what what the story was, um, and it really merited attention. So how did you first get involved then with working with investigative journalists? So you found this disparity in excess rates to expected, and you've attributed it to the pandemic. And then what did you do from there? 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, what we had that was uh, fairly unique at the time is that we had, you know, these estimates of the undercounts for, for over 3,000 county units. And, you know, stacking all that information up, we could quickly see, uh, you know, which specific counties had the biggest gaps, the biggest potential undercounts. So we made a list and we ranked them. We said, like, here are the top 10 counties with the biggest undercounts. Uh, we are not in a position and we do not have the expertise to do the accompanying investigative journalism ourselves. Uh, you know, there are folks trained in, in, in the methods of investigative journalism who do a wonderful job kind of digging deep into local stories. And so this is really a, a case where um, this partnership uh, was, was invaluable to all of us because we were able to collaborate with people who could take our data, identify communities across the United States with uncounted COVID deaths, and dig deeper into the root causes of the underreporting. And uh, we got in touch with a, a team at Muckrock and the Documenting COVID Project. At the time, they were doing local stories, uh, especially in Missouri, uh, where one of the reporters uh, was based. And I said, hey, like we can really scale this work up. Let's take this national. Here's a ranking of, of the places with the, the most excess deaths and the most undercount, undercounting. And, and, and they took that list. Uh, they made a ton of phone calls. Uh, they sent reporters to the field. They partnered with others in the USA Today network who were already in those locations, who had rapport in those communities. And they started reporting out the details, talking to coroners, talking to death certifiers, funeral directors, uh, members of the community to, to get a, a sense for what was going on. And indeed, it turned out that the, our rankings were, were, were meaningful, that these were really counties uh, with, with irregularities, which they were able to uncover in their reporting. Your work has received a lot of attention in the media. How has this impacted your research? Well, it's really enriched uh, the whole process and, and the outcome of the research. Um, this is a two-way street. You know, we, we were able to help the, the Muckrock and Documenting COVID team uh, in, their, in their work by giving them this list of counties with uh, potential irregularities. Uh, but they helped us enormously, too, uh, because, you know, once they started to uncover these patterns, it helped us to, to figure out uh, what was going on in our data. Uh, it helped to, to kind of uh, sharpen and um, uh, enrich the hypotheses that we had generated. So it was really a two-way street and a, a, a collaboration that was mutually beneficial. You mentioned the interdisciplinary aspects of all of your team and everything, everyone that you're working with. How has that affected how the data has been analyzed or utilized so far? I really believe that... Um, the best science involves uh, not only people trained in, in quantitative reasoning and statistics, uh, but also artists and people with humanities backgrounds who can bring different perspectives on the, on the, on the data and the underlying stories. Um, on our team, we, we have several experts in design and, and art uh, who help us think through our data visualizations as well as our uh, translation and dissemination activities. So what states are you working in most now? Where are the journalists now? Where, what's going on with them now? Uh, so indeed, uh, the, the, the team is working on a, a 2021 story uh, based in part on our new estimates that we've generated for 2021. And, um, you know, without giving away all the details, uh, uh, they are um, pursuing leads in several states and counties. Uh, including California, Michigan, um, and Minnesota. Wow. 
Th- those are the places that this COVID mis- misreporting issue is happening so much in that that's where they're focusing. There are particular counties in those areas that uh, uh, we and they believe to be uh, problematic. And so we're, we're, we're really, or they're digging into those leads now. And, um, you know, with this type of work, it's highly sensitive and it's, it's not easy to get people in positions of power to talk to you. And so this is why, you know, this is an amazing partnership is because this is what they're, they're good at. In terms of the million death mark, you know, it's somewhat arbitrary because those are the official deaths. And we know that we, we actually surpassed that million death mark uh, probably in January. Uh, so on one level, it's arbitrary. Um, our, our, our estimates, if we extrapolate our estimates from 2020 and 21 uh, and do a back of the envelope for, for where we're at right now, our team estimates that there, uh, at this moment, there are approximately 1.22 million uh, total COVID deaths in the United States. Oh, Is, goodness. <laughs> that, that's an insanely large number compared to what people think. Um, is there any way to... You know, a death is reported, a death is reported. You know, people are, like, families take care of the bodies. What's going to happen with that number? Like, so if there's this possible, you know, 220,000 people that could have died from COVID, will we ever find out they did? Will we ever add them to that list? It's, it's, a, it's a big concern. And honestly, uh, you know, one, one thing that really keeps me up at night is that um, uh, FEMA has... Um, uh, rolled out this funeral assistance program that you know provides up to thirty-five thousand dollars in assistance to, to families who've lost loved ones to COVID. And the FEMA program is very clear that if COVID is not listed on the death certificate, that the family is not eligible for the funds. And so these undercounts have real-world consequences, especially for people who are you know who are most socially vulnerable and who were most affected by the pandemic. So we really need to to improve and reform our death investigation systems to get these uncounted deaths reconciled uh, so that people can receive the, you know, the, 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 the money that uh, is due to them. So what do those reforms look like? Uh, so, so one issue is that we have this uh, patchwork system, of, uh, local death investigation uh, systems across the United States. It's a decentralized system, and, and in many states, the, the local death certifier is a, an elected official uh, who's often a coroner or a justice of the peace or a sheriff coroner in some cases. And um, they have very little training, usually no medical training whatsoever. And they're elected, so they're, they, they may be kind of uh, subject to certain partisan biases or constituent biases. And so I think what this looks like, what the reform looks like, first and foremost, is that uh, we need to phase out uh, and ultimately completely abolish the, the coroner system and uh, replace it with a more centralized system of medical examiners who have training in forensic pathology. What would you say the next steps for your team are as you guys are moving forward with more data and more research? One thing that we would like to do is look at the kind of the social and structural determinants of the excess mortality patterns to really understand the role of social vulnerability and structural racism and other factors that may have contributed to mortality during the pandemic. Uh, right now, our estimates are mostly descriptive, and they focus on these undercounts, but we haven't really looked at the root causes or the upstream factors that contributed to the patterns that we've uncovered. So would that look like an expansion for your team? Would you bring on different people, different expertise again, find new things? 
One thing I'm really excited about is trying to really think more about the translation dissemination piece. Uh, we have the partnership with Muckrock and the, co- the Documenting COVID project, uh, but it would also be nice to get some of our estimates online so that individuals and communities and public health workers and others can kind of interact with the data and look at you know, how bad the underreporting issues in their communities. So I think, you know, we've started to work with uh, a team at the uh, Center for Computing and Data Sciences at Boston University. Uh, they're known as Spark. And with uh, Spark support, uh, we're working on a, a user-friendly interactive data visualization where hopefully uh, people will be able to interact with the estimates and, and really think about their implications in their communities. Amazing. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me to be able to get this data. Like, <laughs> I'm from Louisiana, you know this. Um, and so underreporting in Louisiana is such a big deal. And um, one of the, the parishes, we're going to switch over to my lingo, one of the parishes mentioned in the USA Today article was Lafayette. I'm excited to see what that'll do for my state at least. Yeah, Louisiana was um, hit really hard by the pandemic um, early on, as you know, when we had very little understanding about the disease or the virus. Um, And so, unfortunately, um, it just really got slammed. And um, a lot of those early pandemic deaths in Louisiana were never officially recorded as such. Mm -hmm. I hope that some of those deaths that were lost... um, and slightly invisible to the the pandemic itself can get counted. That would be the, just the closure for the families alone. And and speaking of which, um, I want to take this opportunity to acknowledge my co-authors uh, on on the the modeling. Um, this was a collaboration between Boston University, the University of Pennsylvania, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And uh, it would not have been possible without you know the contributions of uh, of, of uh, Eugenio Paglino, D.L. Lundberg. Uh, and and my other co-authors. So we have one last question for you. We do a thing here called the short sentence. One of the goals of public health writing is to use short sentences, essentially, how can we say a lot by saying a little? Because if we can give the public a short, impactful message, they're more likely to remember and internalize it. So Andrew, what is your short sentence? Data integrity is a prerequisite to achieving health equity. Thank you. That's so amazing. Also, movement to call them all parishes. It's a prettier word. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a little. And it would get misread as uh, countries, much less. It would. <laughs> Seconded. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you've heard it here first. That's what we're doing next. First, we're counting all the XX deaths and getting those properly documented. Yes. And then we're changing it from counties <laughs> to parishes. Yes, that's the, that's the game plan. Sounds that's like that. a plan. I'm out here for it. PHPOD is brought to you by Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post, which informs and inflects the broader conversation in health and social justice. Every day we feature new articles about the state of the health of the population. Join the conversation by following us on social media and subscribing to the PHP Friday Roundup to see our stories of the week delivered directly to your inbox by visiting publichealthpost.org.